0: This is the How We RevOps podcast. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm a senior RevOps consultant at GoNimbly. Aligning your go to market teams and the tech behind them is easier said than done. And in this podcast, we talk about how we get there. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the How We RevOps podcast. Today, we're talking about change management, and we have Daniel Marcus with us. Daniel, would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself and ops in a
1: box? Sure. My name is Dan Marcus. I have been in RevOps for the better part of the last decade, coming up through some startups to scale ups, spent the last year at Amazon before Mm -hmm. deciding to go off on my own and start this RevOps company, Ops in a Box. So Ops in a Box is a analytics tool for Salesforce. And what Mm -hmm. it does is it creates all the analytics that us RevOps people are doing in Excel, taking the data out of Salesforce. It automates that. It does all the reporting that Salesforce just can't do for us, saving us hundreds of hours every month trying to get that data into the right format and context for the company.
0: I think anything that gets us a little bit more out of Excel is a huge win.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was my life, but I needed to build myself out of that so I could do other things, strategize, talk to people, not spend yeah. every waking hour of my life doing V lookups. It was, uh, <laughs> it was the challenge I wanted to do. Definitely. So let's pivot into change management
0: and what makes mm-hmm. that an interesting topic to you. Cause I know that we talked a little bit about a few ideas and this one seems like you were really excited to talk about.
1: Yeah. So change management is absolutely one of my favorite topics of conversation. It, it mm-hmm. took me a really long time to realize how important this was to the RevOps role. And yeah. as I got to different levels in my positions, as I went from manager to director to VP, I started learning that, especially as a VP, the biggest impact I could have to the company and even to my own team was helping mm-hmm. to manage change. This was an area that just lacked around the entire company. And as a manager myself, my team was doing some amazing things. They were building great flows. They were creating great dashboards. But when those failed, it was not because of a technical reason. It was because Mm -hmm. change management wasn't in place. And so it took me a long time because I'm way more comfortable in my Excel, in Apex, in Salesforce, in HubSpot, and that's where I want to live. Like, you know, give me 16 cups of coffees and free time and space. And that's my comfort zone, but it didn't help my team. That was not proper management. It didn't help the company. And so this topic just became something I got obsessed with and learning more and more about, and really kind of trying to cut my teeth on how to do really good change management, how to learn about it, think of, and that just helped me keep going in my career. And it became a point of a, a topic of conversation and interviews and in networking events and things like that. So that that's how I got into it was just realizing that it's so incredibly important for a mm-hmm. growing revOps person to master,
0: absolutely, yeah, as they're climbing the ladder and advancing in their career, it's something that I think a lot of people think, "Hey, you know, what are the skill sets that I need to be working on?" And I know that on a technical side, you get to a place where, yes, you are a master in like you were saying with flows and that advanced technical skill set, but there's also a world where you need to work on some other higher level skills. so, I'm very excited to pivot into change management. And according to our friends at Sales Hacker, 70% of change initiatives fail. So why do we think that number is so high?
1: I mean, I think there's a really good reason for that. That does not surprise me in any way, shape, or form. And Mm -hmm. let's assume we've already decided to make the change, right? the change is already in front of us. Those changes fail not because it's a bad idea, it's because of How we actually manage that change and change is just inherently hard, right? Think of all the times you or (laughs) I or anyone has failed trying to make a change, whether it's, you know, in our personal life, right? Whether it's trying to work out more or eating better or stopping smoking, what percentage of those attempts have failed? Probably close to 70%. And those are things we're super passionate about, right? Those are things that have meaning to us and impact and importance. And there's our families around us and those changes still fail. So with that in mind, when we go to a seller and we'll talk about sellers mostly, I think here, because that's the biggest pot of people that we tend to make changes to. But when I go to a seller and I ask them to do a new process, adopt this new selling strategy, that's a change, a habit that we're asking them to break. And Mm -hmm. they're not going to have as much of this kind of personal close feeling to that change as they would with some of these other changes. So if you think of it that way and you think about a change is a change, it's breaking of a habit, it's inherently hard. And if we are failing at making important changes in our own life, when we're passionate about it, how are we going to expect other people to make changes in their professional life when there's less potential passion and less need and <laughs> less reason to those things? So it, it makes perfect sense to me why such a high degree of changes would fail Mm. if proper change management techniques are not applied. And that's the habit breaking and the habit forming component of change is the change management. It's not all the work we do leading up to the change. It's all the work we do rolling out the change.
0: Mm -hmm. That's a really interesting perspective because if it's that hard for us to change ourselves. Imagine the Goliath of changing a team or a larger organization.
1: Yeah. Yep. And we all react different to change, right? And we'll talk about that we I'm sure in this podcast, but like some people need more space and time, but some people need more handholding. There's just so many different ways of, of taking on change. And so again, when we're asking a large organization, a lot of people to change And change publicly in front of people, around people, it it can be very difficult. And I just think it's something that we don't consider enough when we're working in organizations and we're doing these things. We just feel like, well, we should just say change and you should change. I don't understand why it's so hard. If it was that easy, I would be 20 pounds lighter and a lot healthier.
0: (laughs) That's, well, yeah. I mean, obviously we would love to all just snap our fingers and make those changes. So... How can we get started? What's the first step when it comes to change management and what are some of the core elements so we can find some common ground here?
1: Yeah. I think if I just go back to that concept of personal change, one of the things that I think helps most people change is their support system, their network, Mm. the people around them. And so in that vein, for me, whenever I was going to make a big change in our organization, the first thing I would do is think about. Who is a part of this change? Who is the network of people? Who is the support system that I need to help roll out a change? And that's mm-hmm. the advisory council. And I would always, always have an advisory council with me when we were gonna do a big project. And so for me, that's the first thing, is deciding who's gonna be a part of that, deciding what their roles are. I would go to the length of creating a racy and knowing who's an influencer and who's responsible and who's accountable for these things. And really thinking about who is involved, what their role is, what they're here to do, and how they're going to help establish, roll out, you know, bring this change to the organization. Because everything else I needed to do would then rely on that group of people. You know? mm-hmm. and, and so for me, it's a fundamental part of change is building the network and the support system and the people yeah, yeah. around to to make that change.
0: Definitely. And just want to double click on the RACI framework. It's gotten me unstuck in a lot of different ways.
1: Yeah, I love a good racy. Again, I always feel like with change or with everything else, what's clear in my head mm-hmm. is not necessarily clear to somebody else when I'm explaining it to them. Yes. And again, this comes to different modes of communication, which we'll talk about as in context of change. But even in context of setting up a management, like a change management advisory council, people know that you want them to participate, but they might not know how you want them to participate, mm-hmm. even though it's super clear in your own head. And so creating a racy for people of saying, Hey, this is what I want you to be responsible for. This is what I want you to influence it. This is all the other components be accountable for. Having that framework is actually a really great framework for people to say, okay, great. Now I know what is expected of me Yep. and, right. and that just, it's just another barrier to break down. Um, and so that framework and setting up a nice matrix and a nice document. Even though it's super clear in your head, and even though sometimes it might be clear in a PowerPoint presentation, having it in that (laughs) format can be super helpful. Absolutely.
0: So I know another core element is having the buy-in and building trust. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you approach that arena of change management?
1: Yeah. So trust is the absolute most important thing when it comes to change, and you can screw up a lot of change if people inherently trust you. And if you've got that trust from people mm-hmm. um, and so I've actually got like a hit list of things <laughs> that I want to tackle when talking about trust. I posted this on LinkedIn and I want to go through a lot of these, cause this is a lot of how I've built trust or I've seen people build trust in organizations. And so this is like my bullet list. Of do these things to help you build trust. So I'll rattle off some of them because I think a lot of them are just great things for people to keep in the back of their mind. So the first is keep the message simple and to the point, right? I have seen too many people try to oversell change and make it more exciting than it needs to be. And when you're in a room and you look, you know, that can put people off pretty quickly. There's an element of, being prepared but when you try to overdo it a little bit too much you kind of get people thinking this feels a little odd i don't know exactly what they're talking about i see a lot of bells and whistles but i might become a little defensive and so for me one of the first things about building trust Is getting that message super simple, super to the point and leaving it at that and not touching it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's number one for me. Um, another big and important one is don't pretend everything's okay. When it isn't, this kind of harkens back to what we were just talking about. If you're pretending things okay and people know they aren't, you've lost trust immediately and it's totally acceptable and totally okay to walk into a room and say things aren't going like we planned and have that yeah. conversation, but it's always important to also be optimistic, right? So you don't wanna go in there and be like, the sky is falling, everything's gotta change because this is a you know sinking ship that we're on. What you wanna say is things aren't working the way we had anticipated, we're learning. I am so excited about the future because we've had some issues. We now know that and we're gonna move on. And so I think there's a difference between being honest and being optimistic. And I think you can be honest and optimistic at the same time and yeah. still really get that trust and that buy-in without you know, having to pretend that everything's okay when it's truly not.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it's interesting how B2B marketers and salespeople are so good at keeping it simple with the messaging externally but it's one of those things where you kind of need to turn it around internally and another thing is trust is built on accuracy and that doesn't always mean being perfect actually one of one of my really good friends said if you go into a situation bulletproof you're probably going to get shot down so you got to be real with people about where things are going and that's a really wonderful way to build trust and get people
1: on board Absolutely. My first CEO was a guy by the name of Mark Jane uh, at Intellects was completely trusted by the selling organization because he would be completely honest when he would walk into a room. He'd come in, he'd say, well, here's what's working. Here's what's not working. Let's talk about it. But he'd always be super excited. He was really good at taking that external message that we would have that was super simple and bringing it internal and using it, you know, to sell. He would talk to you just like... You would want to be talked to and that inherently built a lot of trust
0: yeah for sure
1: something else that i have is just is that advisory yeah. council we talked about it a little bit but for me building trust means having people to test the messaging test the changes and that advisory council i don't think enough people are doing that so for me i would always establish a sales advisory council i would change them every year but this was a group of people who we would tap and mm. say hey we want you to participate." This is what it entails. You're going to be asked to participate in, you know, a couple hours a month of sitting down with the council and talking about changes, talking about what's going on. We trust you that you're not going to go out and talk about that with the field until we're ready. Um, And having those people allowed us to do a bunch of things. I mean, first it allowed us to test change to make sure it was the right change. We did it right. To make sure it would be accepted right there was no errors and issues and so that was one element of the council but another to me one of the most important parts that the council would do is be our change agent on the floor so after a change was released they would be the eyes and ears making sure that the change was going as we had anticipated and expected and helping people course correct without it having to be a single point of change with me, he would know, hey, that person on the council, they were a part of all the conversations before. Maybe I'll take them up for lunch and just hear their perspective. Um, And they would help a lot, you know, a lot more than I could um, building trust. And so that would be a huge trust factor was having these kind of tap people who everybody Mm -hmm. knew was a leader on a leadership track, be a part of that committee, be a part of that group and help bring that change to the floor and also help feedback to say like, listen, people don't like this and we really need to change. The change and so that just all became a really great way to build more trust
0: that's an excellent exercise in information gathering i think a lot of folks pivot to surveys and even asking for direct feedback and it's hard to get that those real insights through yeah. those mediums whereas asking someone else who's boots on the ground yeah probably going to get a real take from them
1: yes that's exactly right if you trust them and they trust you and you can get an honest feedback. Sometimes that's the best measure of how successful change is because the data can be murky and they can give you false positives or false negatives. And sometimes it's just all too many things changing at once, but somebody's opinion is going to be pretty good and pretty spot on and give you good sound bites, good indication of what is really happening out
0: there. And I know that we've talked about how important it is to be honest when things don't go as expected. Are there other things that folks should be thinking about before, during, and after you're managing the change process in terms of communications?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a ton uh, when thinking about communication. Communication is, if it's probably not the first thing. I think trust is the most important part of change, but I think communication is the second most important part uh, of change. And for me, I think you have to really understand everybody changes differently. Everybody learns differently. And so your communication needs to respect the fact that everybody has a different style and you mm-hmm. need to play into that. It's a huge issue I used to have, right? Like I would spend hours building a change behind the scenes and then I'd draft a quick email and I'd send it out and I would just expect everybody to, you know, I communicated that I sent the email and it took a long time to learn that was not communication. Communication mm-hmm. is thinking of those different modalities. So yeah, email could be one. But you should also have, you know, a meeting where you communicate it verbally and then some people need one-on-one, right? So you should have managers be a part of it who probably understand the change at a deeper level before everybody else who can then look at people who need that one-on-one time, bring them in, let them hear and think about the change in their own way. So, you know, there's lots and lots of different ways to communicate the change before and during. And then after it's the same, people will react to change in their own way. Some people will accept change. You know, I am quite good at accepting change. I like change. I I find it fun to change. Um, and so you can yeah. tell me about a change and I'm going to just say, great, I'm going to go, I'm going to try my best. And that sounds good. Um not everybody's like that. And that sometimes is not the best way to take on change, honestly, but some people need space, right? Some people need to think about it. They need time to let it sink in, they need to be on their own. Other people need to be in a group and talk about it out loud. And you'll figure yeah, out what everybody else is thinking and saying. <laughs> and so your communication style, both before, during, and after has to anticipate the different types of people in the organization. And what they need to really learn that change. And I think an important part of that is venting. People need to be able to vent. Change is hard. and Some people need to do that vocally to get that out of their system. And so, again, that's something I think as a change player and somebody who's involved in change, you have to anticipate, you have to be ready for, and you have to provide that ability for people. So if they need to vent, you should listen. And that doesn't mean listen and be defensive and push back. Sometimes it just means listening and saying okay i hear you i understand let's set up some more time to talk and that those are very important moments and things to keep in mind um, and, and things that you just learn kind of from you know being beaten up on chains that's just part <laughs> of the process it was just part of the world we live in and part of the human experience
0: absolutely and hot take being in control means giving people a room to vent and it doesn't mean you're losing control over a situation and when we have those unrealistic barriers up, it actually causes things to break. I remember I did like a high ropes course thing one time in high school and I was concerned because the pillars were swaying and the guide was like, in nature, if things don't bend, they just break. And so I was like, okay. (laughs) I think the same is true you know, when you're working with teams of people. You have to kind of have some room for people to vent and for them to give you that information about what they don't like. And in fact, that yeah. could really even help your strategy long-term.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think, I just think it's such an important part. If you take any sort of, if you're in customer success and you learn about managing customers, mm-hmm. part of managing customers is also just listening and hearing yes. and being available. And I've seen it a number of times. Sometimes that emotional reaction is just what's necessary to open the space up to accept change. And if you don't allow for that, it's a barrier, right? It's stuck inside and that change will not get in until somebody's had that moment of letting it go. And so it's a really hard one to learn. It was probably the hardest one for me to learn because I would have spent so much time doing it. I just want, I just, I'm like, don't you see? This is going to make life better. It's going to make our company better. Why don't you understand that? That's what my internal brain wanted to say. Yeah, But that would never help. That would just make that person more defensive and, less willing to accept the change. So yeah, it's a really interesting kind of evolution in how I've learned about that and thought about that over the years.
0: And the same is true for sales and marketing as well. Marketing, the messaging tends to be so outward and the marketers that are killing it are the ones that are taking information inward. They're talking to their customers and the same goes for sales folks. The ones that can take a breath and not just focus on selling so much and can listen and gather. That information are definitely winning the race
1: yeah 100 couldn't agree more
0: so the hardest question i have is how do you measure the success of a change or a change management project
1: yeah so i knew this question would come and i tried to think you <laughs> a great answer for it and is really the most challenging part i think of any change and sometimes when you produce change it's going to be obvious what the success measures are right. We need you to fill out this form, we need you to do it accurately. Okay, they're filling it out and it's accurate, everything good. Other times, it's going to be much more complicated to see the success of change, like putting in a new sales process. Right. I don't know if that new sales process is truly creating a yeah, better yeah. sale, or maybe it's the marketing that we're doing, or maybe mm. it's the new leadership that we've hired. Right. There's so many things I can't just say. Hey, sales is better. Sales process was changed. It was clearly the reason. Um, and so I do think that this is a very complex thing to do, but you, you know, you kind of already mentioned this upfront, having that advisory council, having people who you trust, who can talk about it somehow, sometimes I think the qualitative answer of, Hey, we did this. Do you think it's working? is going to be the best measure of change and getting sound bites, you know, being able to say, look, we made this change and here's what people are saying about it. Good or bad is probably going, it's in not probably, but in many cases going to be the best you can get in terms of understanding how the change is working out on the field. I I think that's the best answer I can give. I wish there was a, here are the three metrics that you need when managing change kind of soundbite, but it's not as clear cut as that. It's not going to be.
0: Yeah, I think it's probably the biggest gap that I've felt in working in marketing and rev ops and business development in the last 10 years is how do you take something that you're doing and tie it to a business initiative and not have that fear of other people saying, no, it was my thing that moved the needle or it's the big picture. Like, how could you feel great about that? I think that's a really challenging thing to have the confidence and to have the alignment of believing that your initiative is driving some of that momentum in the right direction.
1: And and I do think people should look for a quantitative measurement in every every case. And I think sometimes part of change is saying, okay, we're going to roll out this change, but Before we do that, we're going to spend three months measuring something so that we can see the impact. Sometimes that's the right decision is don't do something until you know that you can measure it, but sometimes it's just going to be impossible. So I'm certainly not trying to say don't bother measuring change. It's too hard. All I'm saying is don't always think a measurement has to be quantitative. It can be measured qualitative and that could even be also sending out a quick survey to the advisory council or a group of people to say, just tell me how you feel about something now. And then waiting three months post-change and sending out the same survey and saying, fill this out again, tell me how you feel now. And being able to compare those two things can also you know, measure the impact of that change and see some of the blind spots.
0: Do you have any examples of qualitative or quantitative measurements that you've used to gauge the success of change management?
1: I mean, f- quantitative is all the probably all the ones you know we as RevOps people look for right it's our conversion rates it's our asp it's our velocity and our deals things like that um yeah one interesting example that that i had was we were trying to change in one of the last companies i worked at we were trying to change our messaging um okay. and so what we wanted to be able to measure was how many times people are actually using that in their sales pitch versus kind of the old messaging. And so, a really interesting thing that we did, because we were lucky enough to have, was we created a listener in Gong, which is a little tag that you can do. I feel like I'm always talking about Gong when I should probably be talking about my own product. but I'd say That's no, it. No. Okay.
0: Is, well, Gong's kind of amazing, but go Gong ahead. Gong is pretty amazing.
1: <laughs> I'll give it to him. They're pretty amazing. So, I'd create this listener that would listen for part of that phrase of the new messaging and another one that would listen to part of the phrase of the old messaging and then mm. we would actually be able to tag with each of those messaging to see the percentage of calls post change that were using new versus old messaging over the first 3 months and that was a really powerful way for us to look at where people adopting the change cuz We would say use the new messaging, but in so many cases I've tried to roll the things out and I would be like, why are you still using that old stuff? We told you to do the new stuff. And so this was a really, really cool way for us to clearly see who was using the old stuff, who's using the new stuff. And also then we could also track conversion rates and things for people who are using new versus old and start proving out that new was working better in some scenarios. And it even allowed us to go and try to find where old was working better and have an update new. And it was, it was one of the cooler kind of exchange experiences of, I don't know how to measure this any other way. And then somebody put this into Gong and I was just completely blown away. That was one of the coolest things. And I think, I think the, all this new listening tech out there is just so great. And I think it's used often externally more than it's used internally but there's so much great internal use cases that we haven't uncovered like that mm-hmm. one that i think are going to allow us to really do understand change and like we'll, we'll be able to look at sentiment and see if sellers are reacting happier or less happy as we get more and more mature into this world of ai and listening and capturing all this information we're just at we're just at the starting point of this i think right now
0: well, yeah, we're talking about the challenges of scalability and how technology really proliferates that, which is super helpful. I am so into this example because it's a way that we got creative, use technology to really measure the impact of that change because it's important to get people on board and just show them the results and yeah. the fruits of their labor of the change. And it reminds me of one of my first jobs in RevOps and Demand Gen. So where I worked at this time, there were certain targets of marketing-originated opportunities, marketing-influenced opportunities, and sales-originated opportunities. And even though these distinctions had nothing to do with compensation, there was a lot of debate over what was influenced by marketing or originated by marketing versus sales. And it was really challenging to, from a streamlined perspective to... Generate that. We basically had to have an internal powwow, for lack of a better term, to decide the buckets. And it yeah. would be this huge debate. But over time, we were able to show that deals that had some sort of marketing influence or origination tended to be shorter, had higher yeah. win rates. And then there was like this oh, okay, now I really want to make sure this lead gets converted into a contact and added to the opportunity because they came from a trade show. And I know that's probably going to help. And We'll probably have more of a budget to go yeah. to more trade shows. So it is hard to connect all the dots in that way.
1: Yeah. The world of attribution is something I think we've fumbled as as a collective <laughs> over the last couple. We could have a whole other, we could have a podcast series just on <laughs> attribution. You could have an attribution wars show on A&E. Like there's yeah. This is a world I have been a part of and seen. And I think it's been bumbled. And I think there's some really great things that will come out over the next few years on this. But it's such an interesting topic.
0: Well, you just staked a claim. If there's ever a reality TV show about B2B marketing attribution, the idea came
1: from you. Yeah, it is. That is my guilty pleasure. I will (laughs) admit.
0: Oh, I, I love some reality TV. It's pretty bad. All right. Well, this has been great. And to wrap things up, The reality of change management is change is hard, and it's important to decide who your advisory council is. They are going to be not only your support system, but your means to gather information throughout the entire process. At the end of the day, you want to keep it simple and be real when things aren't going well. And keep in mind that measurement isn't always quantitative. There are a lot of qualitative ways to gather how well or how not well a change management initiative is going. And Dan, I'm wondering if I missed anything.
1: No, I think that's, I think that's a great summary. The only thing I'll add is I do think yeah. you know, if anyone's listening to this and wondering, and I see posts about this all the time on LinkedIn, if you're wondering how to get to that next stage in your career, moving from manager to director to VP, I really encourage you to think more about this topic, learn more about this topic, put yourself in the driver's seat when it comes to change. Because I think what we'll see over the years is more and more people asking questions about your ability to change, show me examples of when you've been responsible. So just for anyone listening, if you're looking for how do I get to that next step in my career, this is a place where you can really differentiate yourself.
0: I couldn't agree with you anymore. Several of my mentors have said, one of the biggest game changers in your career is having those stories of wins for larger projects and initiatives where you've really taken things to the finish line. So, Thank you so much for your insight and your perspective. And I'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun.